This is Top Floor Episode 11. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash 11. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Our guest today is Tracy Judge, founder and CEO of Soundings. As a travel buyer, Tracy spent nearly every night on the road. And in grad school, she got obsessed with how other industries had benefited from both faster growth and faster innovation, in part due to the gig economy. She realized there was what she calls a white space in the events business that freelancers could fill. Little did she know that a short two years after founding her company, live events would grind to a halt. In the last year and a half, Tracy has pivoted soundings from a way to connect freelance event talent to gigs to a platform for networking and reskilling that same talent, helping to build resilience in a time of crisis. One of the company's big areas of focus has been helping freelancers learn what it takes to produce and market virtual and hybrid events. Tracy and I are going to talk about freelancing, the gig economy, and the new realities of live, virtual, and hybrid events. But before we do, we have to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals with burning marketing questions. Today's question was submitted by Nikki. And Nikki asks, I am planning to go freelance in January. What are the first things I should do to market myself? Tracy, what do you think? To a new freelancer, the most important thing to do is get yourself out there. And the fastest way to do that is through your network. So reach out to everyone you know that you've worked with in the industry and and reach out to the people that you liked working with in the industry because that's how you're going to get jobs that really resonate with you. Uh, LinkedIn is a great way to do that. And then I also suggest joining a freelance community like we've built at Soundings because it gives you the opportunity to not only get in front of our team or whatever companies uh, you're working with, their team to get work, but it also gives you the opportunity to learn from other freelancers about how they started their business and, and what it took along the way to get that booming. What do you think about when people go out on their own and they feel like they need a presence on every single social channel, every (laughs) single possible platform in the history of time? I see that happen a lot and it always makes me scratch my head. I want to tell them to slow down, but I wonder if you agree. (laughs) Yeah, I, I do agree. But when I first started, I was one of those people and you're trying to figure out what platforms to be on and you look at other brands you like and you try to follow suit. I also used to be way too obsessed with what was going out on our social channels. And it was very hard for my team. But now I really have scaled back from that. And we really try to focus on the ones that um, are best for our business. And for example, Facebook is not the best place for us to speak about Soundings Connect 
which is our B2B facing business. It's great to talk about Soundings Thrive, our freelancer facing business, but Instagram and LinkedIn are good for both. That's interesting. The advice that I try to give people is to find the platform that you feel like you can be the most consistent on and start there. And then once you've got that covered, add another one, add another one, add another one. But it's a really good point that you make about which platforms have the audience that the content will resonate with. Yeah, you want to speak to your audience. So that's what you have to think about where that where that audience is. And a lot of times that messaging is different depending on the platform. So I'm interested to hear what your first job in either hospitality or travel was. How did you get your start? (laughs) My first job in hospitality was at Swedish Bakery in my hometown, Havertown, outside of Philadelphia. Um, I literally dream about the pastries there often still. Then I, I started working in restaurants and bars at the end of high school and through college. And I worked as a front desk agent at the Lowe's in Philadelphia as well. What were the pastries at the Swedish bakery? Like what makes the baked goods Swedish? Well, one of the ingredients they use a lot of is almond. So there are a lot of pastries that have, you know, almond cake or almond dough in them. So one of them was, uh, it's called a bisque and it had an almond macaroon and then on top of it, a French buttercream and then dipped in chocolate. Oh my God, that sounds so good. I really wish you hadn't described that to me. I know that you spent many years of your career traveling almost 100% of the time. What do you think has changed about the way that you travel now? Have your feelings changed about it? Do you have a different approach since the pandemic? Yeah, I... My travel has changed a lot through my career, depending on what job I was doing at the time. So early on, I was a travel director and I got sent from meeting to meeting or incentive trip. And I was traveling to work on site. Now I do a lot more business travel and actually attending the attending events, which I actually like much better than planning the events. (laughs) Uh, Agree. And I, I love business travel too, because I live on the beach in San Diego, but I really am a city person at heart. So I get to travel to different cities and spend time with customers and friends while I'm traveling and experiencing cities. And, you know, that was probably the hardest thing for me during COVID. Um, granted, I wrote out a pandemic on a beach, so life was good, but I, I did miss cities. Um, but I did think that I would slow down and my I wouldn't have the same addiction to travel as I did pre-pandemic. But the fact is, I, I love it just as much and I probably appreciate it a lot more. And we can see the results business-wise too, that I've started traveling again and going to events and meeting in person for business too. Was your first trip back, as it were, a business trip or a pleasure trip? I took my family's on the East Coast. So I took multiple pleasure trips, I would say back East. I would stay for longer when I went though. And then I I did one vacation for COVID. But my first business travel event was MPI WEC in Las Vegas. And I thought then I was I was very nervous about going into it. And it was amazing once you put you know the industry back together again, how quickly it started to feel like normal. I felt the same way. One of my first trips after sort of lockdown was going to Alice in Los Angeles this past summer. And it was just 
it just felt so good. I, that sounds like a cheesy thing to say, but it really felt special. It really felt like, all right, we're piecing this industry back mm-hmm. one brick at a time. You have said that learning about the gig economy in grad school at SDSU is what led you to ultimately found your company. Were there particular businesses that you were looking at or particular industries that interested you and inspired you as you built out Soundings? Yeah, we looked at a lot of different companies during our innovation course. And some of those were Uber, Lyft, Airbnb. So I got very interested in the gig economy. But then also, how does that apply to a skilled workforce? Which now I I consider the freelance economy. So I started doing research on companies that leverage freelance talent and also companies that focus on skilled labor. Uh, There's two companies I followed closely. One was Upwork and one was TopTail. Uh, Upwork is the general marketplace. You can find all sorts of talent on there. I didn't love Upwork's model because it's an open marketplace. And I think that that model is broken. What happens a lot is the value of talent gets driven down and it can end up working like a reverse marketplace. And the other piece of it is there's not a big value proposition for either side because they're putting a lot of work in still bidding on business and trying to find the right people. Uh, Whereas TopTail, we actually operate a lot like TopTail. And when we need a, a developer, that's who I used too. But they operate in a closed marketplace and they have the service of connecting the right freelancer with the right organization. Can you describe Soundings as it was when you founded it and what it looks like now? Yeah, it's in some ways it's very different. In some ways it's the same. I started it very small and I, I wanted to learn how to do it right. When I first started, people said, you know, Trace, why don't you be a technology company? You'll be 10 times the value as if you're a services company. But I said, because I want to make sure this works and I don't know how to do it without humans. So we started small. I jumped in on projects. I covered a maternity leave. I learned how to make both sides successful. And then also in this business, reputation is really important and you use those relationships regularly. So I didn't want to throw something out there that was fully baked. So we started picking up right before the pandemic and had a strong product. And obviously the whole industry was decimated overnight. And we had an immediate response to that. Um, We had no value proposition for our freelancers because there was no work. But what we could do was provide education and community. So we started doing that in March. And at the time, we had 350 freelancers. Today, we have over 1,100 in our network. And what I realized is this whole time, that's actually the component that I was missing. So uh, we built this community and we then would go out to the market and see what was happening and see who needs work. And a lot of times it was the virtual event platforms. And we partnered with different companies who gave us uh, access to their technologies and sandbox accounts and provided us with education where freelancers could self-teach and work together to learn new roles and also new platforms to work on. So we became known in the virtual event space for that. But I would say 
now our business is so much more community driven than it ever was. And that's why we broke into two brands, Soundings Connect and then Soundings Thrive, which is our freelancer facing brand. When you look back over the jobs that you had before founding your company, do you think any of those jobs could have been done freelance <laughs> instead of full-time? How do you think your, the companies you worked for would have benefited from having a freelancer do your job? And how would you have benefited if you had been a freelancer? If that's even a fit for those positions. So I actually started my career in the meeting planning industry as a freelancer. I was a freelance travel director and would get put on jobs. And that role was great for freelancers because you have lots of flexibility in that role and you just travel the world wherever the event is. I think with meeting planning today, it requires a lot of different specialties that we didn't need before. And you can no longer really be the jack of all trades in this business because there's there's really too much to think about. Now companies can really benefit from the freelance workforce because they're getting the skilled resources they need when they need them. And being able to plug different skills and personalities in to get the job done. Whereas we all know there's typically a large percentage of your job that you don't love, but you do it because it goes a, goes along mm-hmm. with the rest of it. So what happens is you know you get the right skilled labor when you need it, but also the talent you're working with is usually so much happier as well because they're able to focus on their strengths and what they like. When you talk about how soundings evolved over the pandemic to help freelancers reskill or build new skills, were there specific areas that were the most popular among your community, specific skills that they were really keen to learn? I never say that we pivoted because our business model has always stayed the same. We still connect organizations with talent. What changed was the type of talent that was needed didn't exist. So the problem we were solving for is how do we help the talent we have be the talent we need? So a lot of it, people weren't open to initially. They didn't want to do virtual events. They were in this business for live events when they started. But what we would talk to them about is the fact that this isn't going away anytime soon. And virtual events are going to be part of our future in one way or another. And you don't have to stay in it forever. But learning those roles right now is what will make you valuable when we go back to live events because next we're going to need to know how to integrate the two together. So we drove a lot of the upskilling based on what we were finding out in the market. And like uh, webcast producers was a big one. We used, you know, meeting planners, uh, on-site staff. They made great webcast producers because it was less about the technology now, and it was more about the hand-holding and having empathy and making people feel comfortable in this unknown world they were presenting in. That's a really good point. That the sort of soft skills were the most translatable. That's what we had to do. I always say we had red pens, but we needed blue pens. So when it happened, we looked at, okay, we have all of these freelancers that have experience in events and they have all different strengths. And now we need all these virtual event positions, but it doesn't necessarily translate clearly. When you translate that, it's the soft skills we really needed were that 
you know, was empathy and people that had experience uh, managing VIPs on site and people that were used to helping people regularly. And it was less about the technology piece. I love to hear that. What do you think are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the events industry over the last couple of years? And what changes haven't happened yet that need to? Well, obviously, the adoption of digital was huge for the events industry. We've always leveraged event technology, but for the most part, it was when we were on site. So we were forced into this change, which actually I think is great for us because the omni-channel approach can be so much stronger for us. It also aligns the events business with marketing. And we can now get a lot of the same data from events that marketers are used to seeing. So we all start speaking the same language. And when you think about the events business, it's tough at first. And we only had virtual. But as we go back to live as well, it's actually going to help our industry grow and expand. I get a sense that there's some resistance to virtual events particularly in the hotel industry, right? Because they make their bread and butter with live events. Are there benefits to having a virtual component or a hybrid model for a live event that perhaps people who have made their careers in live events aren't seeing or don't realize? Mm -hmm. I know one of those is marketing data that you referred to earlier. Anything else that you would throw out like you're at a dinner party and somebody's like, I just want to see people face to face Mm -hmm. and shake hands and hug their neck. What would you say to that? I think it's tough because a lot of us love face-to-face and obviously we generate a lot of our revenue and depending what place in the market you're in from face-to-face events. But I think a lot of people are scared that virtual events are going to take from that live experience. A lot of people can't travel for events or they don't have the budget to travel or they don't have the time to do so. So what it is doing is allowing these live events to happen in certain hotels or areas of the world, and then allowing the people that wouldn't have attended anyhow and couldn't have attended to also be part of that as well. And there is where we can generate a lot more revenue for events. So you have an association that can now generate revenue from a live audience and a virtual audience, then they have more money to spend at your hotel as well. So... Right now, I think that's a little bit hard to see because budgets have been hit really hard. And especially, you know, the association market got hammered as well. So right now, it looks like people don't have enough budgets for both. But as time goes on and we learn as an industry how to teach people what opportunities there are to drive more revenue, you know, we're making more revenue. The, I'll say, association is making more revenue. And then there's more money to spend on experience as well. What can event professionals who are interested in freelancing do to improve their chances of success? What would you recommend to someone who is freelance curious that they think about or put on their to-do list? Well, number one, I always tell people you want to learn enough to be dangerous. So you want to look at what's happening in the market right now and what new skill sets are needed in the market. And there's plenty of opportunities to upskill and upskill for free, where you can find tutorials online. 
So I would suggest focus on those things and first understand what you like. Then think about what your strengths are because you're going to be most successful when you're happiest in what you're doing and you're the best at what you're doing. So if you're aligning your strengths to what the need is, you have a better chance of that as well. And you can do that while you have a job. So keep educating yourself. And then you might come to a point in time where you know what you really like and there's the opportunity to specialize that in in the freelance world. And I think that's when you take that leap. Interesting. Are there any roles in the events business that you think are not well-suited to freelance? Yeah, I think there's certain roles that don't work as well. And I'm always looking at infrastructure with organizations and what positions they have on their team now, what skill sets they have and what strengths, and then what do they actually need because of the changes that have happened in the market. And one of the things I always recommend is you need somebody that has strong stakeholder management skills uh, internally in your organization. And that is always good to have as an employee and not a freelancer and someone that is there all the time and that knows how to navigate the relationships in the organization and then sales as well. So, or any account management type position, what's so important is you keeping the relationships and owning the relationships that you have. So you can plug different people in and help a client achieve success, but you always want to make sure that the relationship is staying with the organization. That makes a lot of sense. So you know we like to get into the weeds a little bit and make sure our listeners come away from each episode of Top Floor with some very practical, tangible tips. I know you have a lot of experience and insight into virtual and hybrid events. So I'd like to explore that a little bit if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Many annual conferences were postponed or canceled in 2020 and 2021. What do you think conference planners need to add to their events in 22 and beyond to keep pace with the changes brought about by the pandemic? I don't think about it as what planners need to add to their events. I think that we need to rethink them completely. So now we need to focus on what we're trying to achieve from the event and who your audience is. And then you're going to develop a virtual and hybrid strategy around it. You know, not all events are best for virtual. Not all events are best for live. And you have to understand really what the objectives are for your event, who your audience is, and how do we bring together all these different pieces that we've learned over the last 18 months to make that event the most successful. How do you think organizations are best served in creating hybrid events that are more than just live streaming what's happening up on stage? What do you think are things that they could consider to add to the content that's specific to online? I think a lot of people are scared that they'll lose ticket sales. But the fact with hybrid events, there's so many more opportunities to gain additional revenue that we weren't able to do so before. 
And this is because the delivery in live events and virtual events needs to be much different because we're engaging with our customers in totally different ways. We can have an audience that's worldwide. So you're increasing the number of attendees at your event as well. And not only can you sell those tickets, right? But as in any other sponsorship works, we know that distribution drives the price of ads. On the delivery piece of it, delivery has to change. You go to a sporting event, what you're experiencing in person is much different than what you're experiencing when you're watching it on TV. So it's really consulting. You know, If you're on the agency side, you're really consulting with your customers about how do we make this the best experience overall? Looking at those two experiences differently, the virtual and the live, and then figuring out how do we bring these two together so it can feel like one larger experience. That sports example is brilliant. That's the perfect way to explain this to people who are a little bit hesitant or reticent. That if you go to a baseball game, it's a whole different set of things happening that if you watch it on your couch, but both are enjoyable. I think that really underscores the point perfectly. And now that you have underscored a perfect point, I'm going to ask you to take out your crystal ball and predict the future a little bit. So a lot of us were projecting the return of group meetings, conferences, etc. in Q4 of 2021. It's pretty clear that those segments of business are not materializing as quickly as we expected. What is your prediction for the timeframe of event recovery? This is a hard one. So nobody's going to hold it against you if you get it wrong. I'm not really the best predictor of what's coming just because a lot of what we do book so last minute. But based on what I'm seeing and what I've seen happening and the customers that we have, you know, I think Q1 will see business start to come back. I think it will still be lighter and really because you have to make risk calls early and some companies aren't ready to take that risk. And uh, so I think in Q2, that will start seeing a much stronger comeback. And by the summer, knock on wood, hopefully things continue to get better. But by the summer, I would think we'll start getting back to a full recovery. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Tracy has predicted a full recovery by summer of 2022. Of course, I'm kidding. This is an easier prediction for you to make. What is next for you and what is next for Soundings? Soundings really is what's next for me and I'm fully invested in what we're doing. So I'll be here for a while. Uh, What's next for Soundings first is really building out and continuing to build out our freelance community and providing support for them to continually grow their business. Um, It's interesting because if you you look at data of what happened during COVID, women left the workforce three times more than men did. And in an industry like ours that is dominated by women, we're about 77% women, I believe. And that flexibility becomes so important for them. And when in an HBR survey, two-thirds of women said that they would have stayed at their jobs if there was more flexibility. So for us at Soundings, we believe in freelancers and we believe in giving people professional freedom. So our focus is on providing that platform where people feel comfortable and can really launch careers from. A lot of new positions are emerging 
But the fact of the matter is that's not going to stop. We're going to continue moving faster and faster. So we're focused on how do we keep a relevant pool of talent always. And that's freelance talent and full-time talent. I love the phrase professional freedom. I think that's if when we look back in, you know, 20 years from now, one of the beautiful things to come from the pandemic is going to be a sense of professional freedom, I would guess. So that can be your other prediction that you get credit for. (laughs) (laughs) No, that is though that, you know, that's, that's our mission. That's why we exist. Because if we can help provide professional freedom for all, everyone ends up benefiting. You have the right talent with the right skill sets when you need them and they're happy doing it. And having that independence is something that's much different than you know the typical nine to five job that we were used to. Okay, folks, before we let Tracy leave, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Tracy, what is a story you would only tell on the loading dock? As you know, in meetings and events, there's a lot of work hard, play hard. And I used to do a lot of pharma meetings. And in January, it's usually national sales meetings. So they're really big events. You have lots of staff on. And I had to go back to back a week in Miami, followed by three weeks in Las Vegas. And it's fun. You're working really hard. You're putting on huge events and you're seeing all of your friends. So you know, not much sleep goes on during that time. And I remember the last night I was in Vegas, I was so happy to go home. I think I had been on the you know road over 30 days. And I said, I'm going to bed early tonight. I'm not going out. And I did. And I ended up oversleeping <laughs> and woke up as my flight was leaving, rushed to the airport. And um, they told me they couldn't get me on a flight till the red eye. And I hysterically <laughs> cried at the Delta counter. Um, but then I went back to, uh, you know, I went back to the hotel, but I don't have a room. So I said, well, I guess I'll just go to the pool. And um, I was at the Excalibur at the time and I got changed. I got changed there and then walked over to the Luxor because their pool was closed. And as I was walking through the Luxor, this woman tapped me on the shoulder and she said, miss, miss. And I kind of jumped back and she said, uh, your top is tucked into your bottoms. And when I had, <laughs> what I had done was my bathing suit cover up was tucked into <laughs> the bottom of my bathing suit. So I was walking around like I was wearing a giant diaper. So it was um, not the best ending to that four week excursion there. But, um, you know, it, I think levity is really important. And during COVID, levity is really what got us through it all. And at that point, I just, you know, hysterically laughed <laughs> about what my life was. <laughs> Otherwise, you were going to hysterically cry. Oh my God. I'm going to Las Vegas this weekend. So I'm just going to be looking for people in uh, adult diapers that I can send you a picture. Of. I still, whenever I walk through that hallway in the Luxor, I still laugh about it. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Tracy Judge, thank you so much for being here. I am certain our listeners got some great ideas and I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. 
with pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women. Programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thanks for joining us today. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash 11. Top Floor is a production of Long Live Lodging. Our elevated elevator music was composed and performed by John Albano, designed by Neha Patel and Jason Lum. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 